Father, we do start this uh, service keeping the first thing first because this is all about you. We lay everything down at your feet. You have called us, according to Romans, to be a living sacrifice. That means continuously laying down our lives, our desires, our will, all the time at your feet. That, Father, our hearts, change our hearts to live for you. That even as the world can be enticing and look exciting and we go and chase everything else and look for everything else, that, Father, you're the source of everything, so we keep you first. So bless this time. This is all for you to lift up your name, to know you more, to live your truth more, because your truth is the truth. It's the only truth out there. And thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Well, good morning again. So we're going to continue on with our series in Acts. We're going to keep talking about these different things. Um, but really, again, all of this is about, you know, like that song said, keeping the first thing first. Even in our, our good intentions, we can create church or, or anything for that matter to be something it was never really meant to be. And so we're looking through Acts to really see the early Christians really coming together and being a family together. You know, we were talking about this when we go into the conference room and praying, that church isn't a building. It isn't a place that has a bunch of just programs just to have those things, just to be like some social club. That we are literally, if you are believing in Christ, if you have accepted Christ, if you are following Christ, then we are all family. Literally family. That the blood bond that connects us is stronger than the blood bond that connects our DNA family. And it will actually last for an eternity. So you and I are stuck together for eternity. So we are looking into Acts and really seeing and diving in because the early church went through sometimes more problems than us, but sometimes the same exact issues than us. You know, they had arguments. They didn't agree with things. They didn't always get along. Um, one of the things that I really like, uh, we've been watching The Chosen, and one of the things I really like is when the apostles were getting together and they were discussing the power that Jesus had in, imparted upon them, and some of them were like, wow, this is amazing, this is great. Some of them were like, wait, no human should ever have this. This is not good. And it really showed that they weren't, when the Bible says that they were of one accord, that didn't mean that they didn't disagree at times. It didn't mean that they always got along and it was just this amazing hippie utopia where everybody loved everybody all of the time. But we see in Acts, you know, God still moving in people that even disagreed because at the core value, it was still, well, you're still my brother in Christ and I'm still going to love you even though you and I disagree about something. So just like last week, we, we talked about how Paul got up to the synagogue and he uses the Old Testament to declare to the people that the Messiah had come. And one of the main things that we wanted to point out was 
The Old Testament story is now our story. You know, as most of us in here are Gentiles, we have been grafted in. And so the same promises and the same stories that were given to Abraham and Moses and David are now our stories. That just doesn't mean that we, we don't have to become culturally Jewish. We don't have to follow the, the, the Old Testament law because we are not under the Old Covenant anymore. But we as Gentiles are grafted in so that now it's intertwined. And so now our culture, we use ourselves to glorify and worship God. And we remember that wherever it is that we go, see, Paul went to a typical synagogue service, and he took an opportunity to preach the Messiah to these people. So we realize that even if we go to a typical service where we have familiar faces, or if we're in a group of people that are so foreign to us, we, we hardly recognize anything, we always take the opportunity to proclaim the good news. And even with a... a, a Christian service, whatever that means, even if it's culturally different from us, like, like the Spanish church that we have that comes and joins here on, on two, uh, around 2 o'clock today, their service may look different, but they're still our brothers and sisters in Christ because they're using their culture and their language to lift up the same name that we lift up today. So we always take the opportunity, no matter what, to lift up the name of Jesus. And then remember, we all, all of our grace, blessings, and promises is not in who we are or what we've done. Just like what the Jews kind of mis- mistook, that they were God's chosen people, so they were better than everybody else. That some Jews believed that. It wasn't about them, it was about what God was doing. And it's the same thing for us. There was a warning for the Gentiles. Don't boast because certain branches have been taken away and you've been grafted in. Because you can be taken away just as quickly as the other ones. Because you are not the root. The root supports you. You do not support the root. Because it's all about Jesus Christ alone. Everything that we have is in him alone. So today we're going to continue on. But first let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for this day. We thank you, um, I guess I can thank you for this weather, because Utah really needs it, so thank you, Father, for it. We thank you, Father, for this gathering together today. We ask you to bless this time, let your presence be known here, and let your name be lifted high in this, in Jesus' name, amen. It was really hard to thank God for snow, by the way. All right, Acts 13, 42 through 43. We're going to finish up Acts 13. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Now, devout proselytes are the the Gentiles who believe in God. Okay, that's, that's what they're talking about there. So Paul has taken this opportunity to declare in this synagogue that the Messiah has finally come in the man Christ Jesus. He explains everything that has happened. He's used scripture after scripture from the Old Testament to point to everything that they're talking about. And not only that, but he and his fellow disciples are witnessing and testifying 
By the way, it's not just something that we read. We saw this. I was there when Jesus rose from the dead. I had an encounter with Jesus, and this is what happened. He was very meticulous in his presentation to show that this wasn't just something that they decided to make up. He's giving irrefutable evidence to back everything up that he is saying. Now, this is amazing news, obviously, especially for the Gentiles. Someone is showing that the Messiah has finally come. When Paul finishes his his speech um, with one more scripture from the Old Testament, in the next verse, it says... So when, the Jews went out, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue. Now, I stopped there because this kind of struck me. And it really got me thinking about some things. Now, I, I kind of want to preface this. I don't really think that this was intended. This is just what I feel God is kind of, of showing me here in this particular part of the verse. Um, I, don't, I don't think this was the exact intent of the author. I don't think Luke was trying to put it this way. But this is how it struck me when I read this. The profound news has just been announced that finally the Messiah has come. And then it says, okay, the Jews just left the synagogue. Okay, we're done. Service is over. Time to leave. And, and nothing else happens. Time to go home. You know, service is over. We've done all the things. We've heard, from, we've heard from the law. We've heard from the prophets. Some guy got up and said some nice things. Now it's time to go home. So again, I want to ask you guys a question. Something, something that up for, for me. As we're sitting here today, I want to ask you something. How many of you are thinking about lunch today, right now? You guys thinking about lunch right now? Now. <laughs> now you are? <laughs> I don't recommend trying to go to D's right now. I would just recommend going home. But I mean, a lot of people, you know, are, are we going to Wendy's right after, right after service? Are we going to have leftovers? What are we going to do? What's going to happen? But again, my point here is this, because a lot of people do this. The question I have for people is, what are we here for? Now, don't misinterpret my question, because this is an accusatory. I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. This is just, well, I point my finger at you, Don. What are you doing here? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I just want us to start thinking about church and our gatherings a little bit more, as I've said, as we've been talking about. You know, we, we've had some interesting ideas when it comes to church, and sometimes I don't even realize we have these assumptions. So I just want us to start thinking, what are we here for? What do we get out of these things? Do we get anything out of these particular gatherings? Again, don't misinterpret me. I am not here to say that I am such an amazing preacher that you should just be hanging on every word that I say and jumping up and down with excitement just because I'm saying those words and I'm so amazing. Not going to say any of that. As a matter of fact, as a pastor, one of my pet peeves when I hear other pastors preach is when they require like audience participation. I, I actually can't stand that. 
I, I really, really, it really makes me cringe and it irritates me when I hear pastors, they get up and they're preaching something and they go, oh, can I just get an amen? Oh, come on, this is good preaching right here. Come on, people. Well, obviously it's not that great because ain't nobody saying nothing, bro. Like, what, what's, what are you doing up there? I mean, I asked the, the pastors the same question. What are you up here for then? What are you doing? Is it for your own pride? Is it for your own edification? Is it for your own ego? To make you feel better? To make you feel big and important? Are you just trying to entertain people to just keep them coming back? Is that what you're doing this for? Trying to rile them up? But I mean, that's the point. I, I am not up here to boost my own ego. Trust me, I have a wife who makes sure I don't have an ego. It's never going to happen. Every time I start thinking, hey, I'm doing pretty good, she's like, really? So don't worry. That's not going to happen. I am not here for anybody's entertainment either. I'm not going to try to do a song and dance up here to try to get you to come back. If I tried to do a song and dance, most of you would probably leave anyways. It would have the opposite effect. But again, it's not the worship team. It's not anything else except we're gathering here for one man alone. Whatever we do, the Bible studies, the preaching, the worshiping, the fellowshipping, the eating together should be about getting more and more of Jesus. After coming here, are you getting more Jesus? Are you more like Jesus? Have you given more of Jesus? Are you expecting more of Jesus? Because that's really the thing. When you come here, what is your expectation? What do you expect to happen here? Do you expect anything to happen here? I want to do an experiment, as a matter of fact. There's an experiment. Now hold tight with me. Don't worry. But I want to try something real quick. I have here it's a book. It's called The Tibetan Book of the Dead. Now, The Tibetan Book of the Dead is for Tibetan Buddhists. It's various prayers to various deities and spiritual entities to prepare Tibetan Buddhists on their journey to death. In this, you have prayers and different rituals and different uh, incantations to invoke the deities to help that person through their journey into death. So here's my experiment. I'm going to pick something, and I'm going to read it out loud. I'm going to find an incantation here. Let's see. Prayer of the reality between. That sounds interesting. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this, and we're going to see if anything happens. Okay, you ready? Everyone's looking at me like real scared right now. You guys scared? You guys a little scared right now? You a little worried? Huh? Help me, Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that, that's the point. How many of you were scared that demons were going to come out of the ground and drag everybody to hell if I read this? Were you guys scared? You worried some, some entity was going to come here if I read out of this? Drag us all to hell? Pastor Michael no longer has a job at Liberty Church because I almost read from the Tibetan Book of the Dead? Okay. He went to Tibet. Yeah, I went to Tibet. 
But isn't it funny that we had an expectation that something was going to happen if I read this? But this is nothing. It has no power. But we'll yawn when someone says, okay, let's open up our Bibles today. We don't expect anything to happen when we open this up. Which Hebrews 4.12, we're not talking about lunch anymore. (laughs) Hebrews 4.12 declares this, for the word of God is living and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. This is the word of God, and yet we're like, meh, I'll read it later. I mean, something in here, this has lasted for centuries. This is the very word of God, and if you're not, when you open it up, not expecting something to happen, then we need to start really thinking about what we're reading and what we're reading for. What is our expectation? I mean, if you come in here and you're like, okay, I'm going to torment myself with Pastor Michael's sermon for about 45 minutes, and then I'm going to be good with God for the rest of the week. Like, okay, I've, I've, I've tortured myself enough. I get my points with God. I'm just going to get through the service, and then I'm going to go to lunch, and then nothing. You're not going to grow in your faith. You're not going to get closer to God. Your life is not going to look more like Jesus. Your life is not going to be changed by his power. Remember God said in Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. So if you come here, or the Bible studies, or the fellowship, or whatever, and you are truly seeking his will, then something will happen. It's not the pastor's job or responsibility to make you a good Christian. As pastors here, we're here to help, encourage, and even correct at times. But you have to take your Christianity and do something with it. You have to cultivate your own faith. You need to have your own personal relationship and commitment to Christ. This is why Paul tells the believing Jews and Gentiles to continue on in the grace Take the grace that you've accepted now and continue in it as you leave, as you go out. Be like the Bereans who went home and looked through the scriptures and studied them to make sure what they were being told was true. I can tell you, I could read from the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and if I didn't bring that book, would you have known it was scripture or not? I mean, again, I've I've done that when I was a youth pastor. I've read from the from a book of Mormon and and called it scriptures and the kids didn't know whether if it was from the Bible or not. I mean, how many adults would have the same problem? Instead of leaving your Christianity at the door today when you leave, take it home with you. Let it sink deep into you and let it mold you. Seek his truth 
as the song that we just sang. Just like these Gentiles did who begged, begged the apostles to come back the next Sabbath and preach the good news some more. And then we see what happens. On the next Sabbath, uh, verses 44 through 45, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. You know, it's funny how it doesn't say in the text that when Paul's preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, as we typically see, Paul preaches the Messiah, and then the Jews get mad, and then they kick him out. In this particular Sabbath, in this particular synagogue, the, Sunday, or the Sabbath before, they're like, oh, okay, nice word, good job, that's very nice, and they all leave. It's funny how now, now that it's not a typical service, now the entire city, now remember, this is a city that's predominantly Gentile. This is Turkey. This isn't Israel. This isn't hardly even close to Israel. This is in Turkey. What they didn't expect is for someone to actually preach something that had the power of the Holy Spirit behind it that people wanted to hear. How long had that synagogue been sitting there? Now they see massive crowds coming in that they couldn't bring in themselves. And instead of saying, wow, this is something big, this is something we should be embracing, praise God for what he is doing, this is amazing, they immediately think of themselves and begin to get jealous of the apostles and start talking trash about them and their teachings. Now they're denying it. Now they don't want anything to do with it. There's even some, and I've read through, that say that the Jews couldn't accept a Messiah that, that was for all people. As a matter of fact, a commentary I read said this, it seems strange that these religious people who waited so long for their Messiah would now reject him when Jesus was presented to them. One great reason was that they wanted to keep the division between Jew and Gentile. And if Jesus was the Messiah for all men, they, don't, they wanted no part of him. They were jealous and upset that the Gentiles would not be kept lowly and beneath them. That they would dare to be equal with them. And again, church, this is just plain evil. James 3, 14 through 16. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and even demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil that thing are there. In other words, jealousy and envy is so vile that James is saying it has no place in the church. And I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of times this can be more prevalent than we think among the body of believers. The biggest problem I've seen is when pastors themselves are the biggest perpetrator of this behavior. I've been through pastoral gatherings. I've spoken with many pastors, and not all of them. Do not mistake me. But I've been to pastoral gatherings that were meant to be a place of, of love and encouragement and prayer where pastors can get together where they normally can't and talk about their issues and problems and, and seek peer-to-peer -peer some kind of prayer and help. But it turns into places of posturing, 
of backbiting and egomania. It can be problematic. Our church's success, one church's success becomes a gossip fest to tear down so that others can feel better. Because for some reason, when another group has success, that is an automatic slap to the face of someone else's failure. Because a lot of times we forget we're all on the same side. This isn't a competition. It's not about us and lifting ourselves up. Even in the scriptures, there talks about an incident where there's a group of people preaching Christ for their own selfish gains. They're doing all this stuff. And people are upset and want, want this stuff stopped. But Paul even says, who cares what their intent is? Jesus is being preached. Let it go. Who cares? Another church's success, another body of believers' success is our success. Just like in a marriage, if you're jealous of your spouse like getting a promotion at job at a job and, and getting more money and you're upset about that and jealous about it because you've been working longer and harder at your job, dude, it's in a you're getting more money. <laughs> like their success is your success. Your success is their success. It's the same thing. We just have different addresses. If this church has some kind of success, then it's Calvary's success because we declare Christ just the same as they do. So what if, if, if one church like brings a multitude of people to Christ, they have this huge explosion and just lead all of these people to Christ? So what if we personally weren't involved in that? If we personally weren't in charge of having this multitude of people come to Jesus. The whole point is not that. The whole point is thank God there's a multitude of people who now have eternity with Christ in heaven. We have more brothers and sisters. So what if it happened in this address or another address? Who cares? Praise God for it. But these guys just couldn't handle it and they actually start harassing Paul and the other apostles, and then this is, their, this is their response. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary for the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul and Barnabas said, okay, bye. You reject him? Cool. Sucks to be you. We're going over to the Gentiles. They seem to want to hear more about it. I mean, this is the Messiah you've been waiting for for a millennia, but if you don't want anything to do with him, fine. He even tells them God's original intent that the Jews, his chosen people, were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles anyways. They're just obeying what God has commanded them to do. It's not just for one people. And this actually begins Paul's journey as an apostle to the Gentiles. He even acknowledges this and recognizes this when he talks to the Galatian church. Chapter 1, 15 to 16. 
But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now this is God really knows how to set things up because he takes a man who again describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisees. He's a man who originally even persecuted the church and tried to wipe it off the face of the earth. This man who once had the same despicable attitude towards Gentiles as the Jews he's preaching to now, God lifts him up and says, okay, you are now going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. This shows that his change in his life can only come from God and not something he came up with himself because he had deep-rooted prejudices and thoughts and doctrine that were contrary to God's word and only God can change that in him to where now he's a an apostle to the people he wouldn't even give a second thought towards. He would turn from his own people to the Gentiles and become their biggest advocate within the church. There were many, many times where his fellow Jewish Christians would say, okay, but they have to be circumcised. Okay, but they can't eat blood. Okay, but they have to... And Paul's like, no. The Gentiles have been given grace and mercy... They are not under the law. We are not under the law. Leave them alone and let them continue in the grace that God has given them. That is a huge turnaround that can only come from God. He still has a heart for his people. He still wants his people to come to know Jesus. He even prays that their jealousy towards the Gentiles will somehow turn them towards Christ. He's brokenhearted at the fact that his, peop- his own people have rejected their Messiah. But again, he lays all that aside and his love for his people and turns toward the Gentiles as God has commanded them to do. So let's, let's finish up the chapter. Acts 18, 48 through 52. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook, dust, shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Here's what a commentary I read said What's, what's happening here? It's remarkable to think that this church was born in little more than a week. On one Sabbath, Paul and Barnabas preached in the synagogue, and there was wonderful response. The following Sabbath, there was mixed response, some very hostile and some very receptive. They took the receptive ones and started a church that lasted for hundreds of years, and through that church, the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all of the region. Again, this is simply the power of God. But we have to remember, when God moves in a big way like this, the devil, even though it's futile, will try to move even bigger. So there's obviously opposition that comes along the way. These Jews are so mad that they went to the city officials themselves and got the apostles kicked out. And their response was exactly what Jesus told his followers to do. Remember this, 
This is very big in our modern society today. Matthew 10, 14. But whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from the house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Just leave. So again... How successful would these apostles be according to today's standards? They start this huge church, and then they get kicked out. The, the government itself kicks them out. But this is exactly what Jesus taught us to do. Don't rail against the injustice of it. Yes, it's not fair. Yes, people need to hear the gospel. Yes, this is very important. But Jesus specifically says to just shake the dust off your feet and leave because pretty much you're wasting your time at that point. Because it's not about, okay, we, our words have to be more persuasive. We have to present it in a much different way and then they'll believe. It all starts here and the Holy Spirit's work in there. And if they reject it, then you can talk to them until you're blue in the face and it's not going to do any good. Don't somehow try to persuade them more. Don't yell louder than them. It does no good. Just shake the dust off your feet. Say, okay, sorry to hear that, and just walk away. That's the point. And this is what the apostles do. And they went away filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, they don't get to stick around and... and soak in the success of this church that they just started. They have opposition and they get kicked out, and yet still they go, they are filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, and they continue on in the mission. Now, I'm telling you today, church, that it hasn't gotten to that point yet where our government is kicking us out of the cities. Will it happen? Maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in this country. But when you are met with opposition, when you are met with opposition. Instead of railing against it, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next person and say, hey, have you heard about Jesus? That person won't hear me, but will you? Okay, you won't? How about you? How about you? How about you? How about you? Until someone hears and believes. And it could be one person, it could be a whole city, it could be a whole group of people, it doesn't matter. Go away filled with joy in the Holy Spirit because he will guide you in who you need to speak with. So concluding today, remember, when you leave today, don't leave your Christianity here. Take it with you. Ingrain it into your life. As a matter of fact, we need to think about it this way. Stop attending church and be the church. This building is just a building. The church happens when you're at home, at work, store, hanging out with people, whatever, because you're there. You are the church. So don't just say, okay, I don't have to, you know, I can leave my Bible here because I won't need it until next week. Be the church. Don't let jealousy and envy Gain a foothold in your life. It's vile and dangerous and can destroy a church faster than anything. Let us remember that our success or someone else's success is all-inclusive because we are all one body. We just got different addresses. 
Remember that when you see God move in a big way in your life or the lives of those around you, there will be opposition. Just remember, if people reject the gospel, just simply do what Christ told you to do. Shake the dust off your feet. Say, okay, thanks for your time. Don't, you know, don't stop praying for them. Don't start, stop thinking like maybe there's another opportunity. But it's, there are times when it's time to move on. And so final verse, as, as the worship team comes up here, says this. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. That does not equate salvation with works. That just means that you strive for your faith. You continue on it. You seek his faith more and more and more in this gathering, in another gathering, at home, and when you go away. That's one of the big Jewish cultural things that I think the church needs to adopt. God told them, when you get up, when you lay down, when you're hanging out with your kids, when you're going to work, talk and think about these things. Remember these things. Cultivate these things as you go about your day. So work out your own salvation this week. And let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you that you work bigger and stronger than the world does. That for millennia upon millennia since the fall of man, sin and evil have tried to overcome you, but it's always been in vain. We ask you, Father, to help us to remember what we're expecting. Help us to remember that we are to expect movement from you when we seek you with everything that we have. And help us to remember that jealousy and envy are something that should never be a part of our lives. That, Father, we lay down our will, our desires, everything that we have, and put them at your feet so that if we see someone else succeeding where even we may have failed, that we rejoice with them and praise you because ultimately it's not about me or anyone else doing these things. It's you doing them through us. And help us, Father, to remember that people may reject us and we may have opposition. Help us, Father, to be prepared for that and to do what you've called us to do and find those who are willing to listen. Thank you, Father, for this day, and bless the rest of this time. In Jesus' holy name, amen.